it's like on the back of my pants, and I'm like, I can't even see if it's on or not. So, all right, so good morning, everybody. So I have always my, my uh, necessities here, water, reading glasses, and for women of a certain age, something in case I break out into a hot flash in the middle of, of teaching today. So, so welcome, like Bob said, we're in, um, we're in Ephesians. And uh, we just started it, so we're early on, we're in chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, please go to Ephesians chapter one, and we're starting in verse 15, and we're going to be covering verse 15 through verse 23. And so I want to, as always, we like to try to set the stage of where we are, the context, what's happening at this time. So the book of Ephesians is written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, and this is during... um, a house imprisonment time. But he's still, during that time, able to write these letters. He has a lot of freedoms. It isn't prison as we would typically uh, imagine it, but it also isn't a cakewalk for him either, all right? So this first part of the Ephesians letter is very heavy in doctrine, right? He's explaining the why, why we should do the things that God asks us to do. So the first half of Ephesians is the why, and that's part of what we're in today. And then the second half of Ephesians deals much more with practical application of the how, how we do those things that the Lord has asked us to do. So keep that in mind as we are are reading through these um, these scriptures, these verses. Paul uh, Depending on your version, the little subtitle might say Thanksgiving, Paul prays for spiritual wisdom, but it's all of those things. He's thankful for this church at Ephesus, and he wants them to know it. So he's spent, uh, at one point he had spent during his third missionary journey over two years with them. So he knows them, right? He knows them, and they mean something to him. Now, I put out on Facebook a question about gratitude, how you express gratitude. Do you write thank you letters? Do you text somebody? Do you have a threshold that if somebody does this, you don't really have to show gratitude. It has to be above the line in order for you to actually show gratitude in some way. And I got a lot of great answers. Um, I'm very old school. I write a lot of thank you thank you cards, to the extent that I have had somebody actually give me something and say, you don't have to write me a thank you card for this, <laughs> right? But when I was a kid growing up, I would write my grandmother thank you cards. And she told me that I was the only grandchild that ever did that. And it really meant something to her to know how I felt about whatever it was, right? That I expressed that thankfulness even as a kid. I had some people respond, they write thank you. Some people, they do text. Some people said, you know, I feel it's really important to be face-to-face, right, so that they can get an emotive response. I think that's exactly the wording that was used. Um, So the person can see how grateful I am, so that it's very personal. And I think all of those are wonderful, because I think most importantly, it's just that we're able to express gratitude, and we understand and recognize the importance of that. So when we think about Paul in this situation, he could not text. He could not go there and be face-to-face, right? What he could do is write this letter, and he could send it to them. And imagine how important that would have been 
for those people in Ephesus to get that letter from Paul, right? So he understands the importance of making sure that they, they can really grasp the doctrinal part of this. Um, if you think about it, if in the Corinthian letters, the letters to the church at Corinth, those were written when he was in Ephesus, by our best understanding, right? And a lot of those letters that he wrote were clearing up misunderstandings from previous letters, right? So I think Paul wants and understands the importance of reiterating over and over again these doctrinal foundations so that they understand them, but it has to be wrapped in the gratitude that he has for what they're doing because they are surrounded by um, a culture that wants nothing to do with them, isn't buying what they're selling, right? They're, they are truly set apart in this way. So imagine what it would have meant to them to get this letter from Paul. You know, you're not just slapping a stamp on it and sending it, right? There were some things that had to happen to get that letter to them. And most likely, one person would have been reading it to the group. And even though this letter is written to the church at Ephesus, this is shared with other Roman churches because, again, of the doctrinal foundations that are in this letter and then the practical applications. It's very important for people to understand how those things work together. So think about, so we've talked about what it meant to the people to get that letter. Imagine Paul's heart. Imagine who Paul used to be. He used to be Saul, right? He gave the Christians a lot of trouble, and that's putting it way lightly. And then the experience that he had with the risen Christ on the street to Damascus. His experience was so amazing, was so out of this world. There isn't anything more that Paul wants than for each and every one of the people that read the letter, whether or not they're in Ephesus or somebody else, someplace else, for them to experience that. And I can tell you as a pastor, pastors feel that same way. We are not distant or disconnected in how we feel about each and every one of you. And whether or not you go to Discover Always, you watch online, or you're visiting today, it matters to us that you have that experience, that you are moving your way closer and closer to whatever it is that God has for you. That is the most important thing, and in a way that might be difficult to imagine, unless perhaps you have children or family members where that is your desire for them. So think about Paul in that sense, who he used to be and what he wants for these people and that he probably is feeling a sense of urgency. Now think, he is on house arrest, right? And it's a sense of urgency for the people to understand it, but it's a sense of urgency for Paul to get these words out. I think by this point, he probably knows that he is on borrowed time, so to speak, this is his first house, this first imprisonment, and there's a second one that happens shortly after, and he is eventually martyred, and tradition says by Nero, right? And that's only just a few years after this. So I think it was so important to him to express that urgency 
not only for himself, but for the people receiving that letter to not waste time. Don't waste your time not being with the Lord. Don't waste your time not being with the Lord. So we're going to read through this letter. I'm going to read it just here. I use the NLT as the version I'm using. Your version might read just a little bit differently, but that's where we're going to start. So come from it from that perspective, right? And I'm going to, even before I read the letter, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little something about Paul. We just did a study in First and Second Corinthians, and I think most of us know Paul had kind of a tough time of it, right? <laughs> so when you talk about commitment, let's look at a few things that happened to Paul throughout his ministry career. Five times he received 39 lashes from a Jewish leader. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. He was stoned, guys, and he lived to tell about it. Three times he was shipwrecked. One time he spent a whole day adrift at sea. Not to mention all the times that he just faced danger and hunger and thirst and unknowing what was going to happen to him. So somebody who went through all of that and he kept coming back for more because it was so important to him that people understood what Jesus had done. So let's read this section of that letter, starting in verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his riches and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. That is a lovely letter. Guys, that is a lovely letter. That little section there. So we're going to go through these verses, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time going deep theologically, right? Because we're setting this up. What I want you to really feel is the emotion of what he's trying to accomplish with the people at Ephesus, how important that was to him. Because that plays true for us today. So we're just going to start. We're going to start in verse 15. I'm going to have each of the little sections of scripture up there so that you can see them for yourselves. But that first verse, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. So think about that. In Christ, or it might be what your version says, or in my version it says strong faith in the Lord Jesus. That was a bond that they had. Again, they weren't in an area that was surrounded with other Christians, right? They were 
we say set apart as holy, which is exactly what they were, but it also meant that they were maybe shunned a little bit, but they had this bond of what they had together, this strong faith in the Lord and your love for God's people everywhere. Another thing that set them apart because that was not the default, not in that day, not in this day, not having a love for God's people everywhere. There's a commentary by Benson where he has a quote that says, for by praising the Ephesians for their love to all the saints, one of the versions says all the saints, the apostle seems to intimate that they were free from the narrow, bigoted spirit which prevailed in some other churches, were different in opinion about the necessity of circumcision had interrupted love. Okay, so let's, again, we set the stage. So not only are they surrounded by people that aren't Christians, but other churches And circumcision was the thing of the day, right? The circumcision was a big stumbling block. And it was not meant to be. But we saw where many times in the Bible, there were apostles that um, allowed that to happen, said it was fine, maybe did it themselves, so that it would not be a stumbling block. But people allowed that piece of disunity, that piece of distraction by the enemy to make circumcision something that could interrupt that love. And we have to think about that today, just like like Pastor Bob was talking about in baptism, in communion, in so many different things. Um, Are those things that are meant to interrupt our love for others? I don't think so. They're meant to draw us closer together. In John 13, 35, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So that is how we prove to the world that we are the Lord's disciples. In verse 16, Paul writes, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. So we hear this theme from Paul, right? He's the one that talks about praying without ceasing. And he is practicing what he preaches. He's encouraged by the growth and the way that the Ephesians are moving in what they've learned, but it's new to them. So he also has concerns, again, that they understand the why and the how. And that's why he's not just saying, hey, you've got salvation, good luck with that, right? He wants them to know. He wants them to be able to have that depth because he's not always going to be there to guide them every step of the way, right? You don't have your own personal pastor working with you every single day. You have the Holy Spirit is what you have, right? And so this is what Paul wants to continue to encourage them about. Even the most seasoned Christian wants to know that people are praying for them and that people are interceding for them. And so Paul is letting them know that even though he is not there, that he is doing just that. In verse 17, Paul writes, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. So just like we were just saying, spiritual wisdom and insight, we talk about led by the Spirit class. This is that idea of growing in our spiritual wisdom and insight, knowing that we can hear. Paul's writing in Ephesians doesn't back down from the idea of spiritual warfare and the heavenly realms. And sometimes when you're new to something, that can be 
overwhelming to even understand. And it doesn't happen in the blink of an eye. It happens through continuous study and prayer, asking the Lord for that spiritual wisdom, asking the Lord for that insight. Paul knows that if the Ephesians continue to mature, that they'll be able to recognize these things themselves and grow in that discernment and that they need these foundations to take those next steps. And for us personally, do you feel like, think about this, from the very first time that you studied to this day, does every time you study or a light bulb goes off about something in scripture, does that help you grow not only your knowledge of God, but your knowledge of his character? And does it help you trust him because you understand what his character is? And does it help you to understand his faithfulness and then you can trust his timing? His timing, which we know can be agonizing, right? Sometimes God's timing is agonizing. But if we trust him for who he is, then we can trust that his timing is right. In verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Now, how many people have heard about what your inheritance in the Lord is? Have you ever heard what your inheritance is, right? Eternal life. Raise your hand if you have heard that you have an inheritance in the Lord. Okay, good. And if you didn't raise your hand, you have an inheritance in the Lord. You get eternal life. It is an amazing inheritance. But that's not what this scripture is saying. Now, there are some versions where this reads, instead of we are his rich and glorious inheritance, it reads, um, or called and the rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his holy people. But looking at the Greek, I think that this is a better translation, that we are his rich and glorious inheritance. So instead of hearing about what we get, we get to a glimpse into what God considers his rich and glorious inheritance, and it's us. And that internal life that we get is what allows us to be that inheritance to him, to be able to spend our eternal lives with him in heaven. That is how much he loves us, is that he considers us a rich and glorious inheritance. Verses 19 and 20, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So he's talking about the greatness of God's power, right? Remember where he is in Ephesus. They're surrounded by people that are not on board with this. So he's trying to encourage and help them remember that the promise of eternal life in Jesus at the right hand of God. This power is something that Paul understands better than most because he has lived that in an extremely personal way. He has seen God turn his world upside down. And this verse also sets the stage for these next two verses. Verses 21 and 22. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. 
God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Now, the culture of, at, <clears throat> in Ephesus included magic, astrology, idolatry, the occult. They had, as, you know, possibly I was studying out as many as 50 gods, small g gods and goddesses, and they, they worshiped the emperor, right? They had a lot of crazy stuff going on, it kind of seems. So Paul reminded them that God's rule and authority was far above any of those things. But that's just like it is for us today, right? You know, people look at the Bible, I'm like, like, it doesn't apply to me today. Oh my goodness, think about that. Take a moment just in your mind to consider the current day. What kind of idolatry have you seen? What kind of occult or demonic activity have you seen? Immorality, educational systems that want nothing to do with God in them. And the worship of leaders and public figures. Now we see, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Nero made them worship him, that the Roman leaders, oh my gosh, how often does that happen today? We think about influencers and political figures and movie stars. There are many, many people that have way too much influence on our lives and they have nothing to do with God and they don't care about what's happening to you. So our last verse in this section, verse 23, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. That's because Christ is enough and Christ is what makes us enough. So I'm gonna ask you as we get ready to close this up, I've got a little something special for you. I'm going to ask you guys to take a moment. You can close your eyes. You can keep them open, however you want to do this. And I want you to put yourself in this scenario. Like you're the church at Discover, right, instead of at Ephesus. Even if you're a visitor here today and you're not, you haven't been going to Discover, I might not have known you were going to be here today, but 100% God knew you were going to be here today. So this letter is as much for you as it is for the people that have been with us since day one. And I want you to know, I used Paul's letter as a template. So what you are being given is not scripture, but it has a lot of scripture in it. But I personalized this because when I was reading this, I saw you guys in such an individual way in this letter about what I pray for you guys, with the pastors here pray for you guys over and over again. So again, this is not scripture, but Paul's letter is the template for this. So I want you to know this is how we feel about you. This is how I feel about you. Each and every one of those wax seals, I did with a little, little stub of a thing and a candle, right? Um, because this means something to me. And I, I want you guys to know that. And if you, again, are a visitor and you have a church home, this is how your pastor feels about you. I want you to see yourself in this letter. So you can start opening it up. You should probably slide it down so you don't break those seals that I spent so much time on. <laughs> and I'm going to read this letter to you. And I'm going to try not to get weepy. But again, this isn't a copy-paste this is something that I saw you guys in and the Holy Spirit said, let them know. 
This letter is from Gabrielle, chosen by the will of God to be a pastor of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people at Discover who are faithful followers of Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I've witnessed your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. I've seen you help the hungry with food and physical labor at the pantry. I've seen you reach out to the elderly to help them with projects they can no longer do themselves. I've seen you spend your time with the homebound so they don't feel isolated or alone. I've watched you pray with the brokenhearted, the sick, the fearful, and I've watched you wage war against the enemy's lies through prophetic deliverance, intercession, and healing gifts. I've watched you mature in God's word as you study with each other and ask for godly wisdom and advisors. I've seen you thrive in the gift of hospitality as you become more intentional to know and support one another. I thank God for you today, and I will thank God for you tomorrow. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God and your confidence in his love for you. I pray that this knowledge brings you fresh and fervent excitement about his plans for you. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called and that you will see clearly that he has called you. I pray you remember that once you have been called, that calling does not fade. He has purpose for you always. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And this is what he still offers us today in 2023. It is not a lost or rescinded gift. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, which includes you, my dear family at Discover. And the church is his body. Our small church family is his body. We are made full and complete by Christ. We are not lacking or less than. Jesus fills, us all, <laughs> Jesus fills all things everywhere with himself, including this congregation. With that in mind, is there anything we can't accomplish in his name for his purposes? Dear brothers and sisters, may the overwhelming knowledge of God, love of Jesus, and companionship of the Holy Spirit keep you encouraged and faithful. Love, Pastor Gabe. So let's close in prayer. <laughs> God, thank you so much. And Lord, I just hope that you impress on every heart here today that these people can see themselves in this letter and know that they are loved. They are loved by me, they are loved by you, and that you have so much for them each and every day and that they would never forget that they are treasured. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All right, so we are gonna move into communion and... Um, if you have been here uh, a while, you know how we do that. If not, we're going to have wine and, um, sorry, a little choked up here, wine and gluten-free crackers and bread up at the stations in the front. If you'd prefer to serve yourself or you'd prefer to have juice, we have a station at the back that you can go there. You'll just come down the center. 
and just uh, come up as you're led. We would love to be able to serve you communicate.